Yes, it's 3.30-somethings with nothing better to do on a Friday night than podcast about Sheffield Wednesday here on the Owls AmeriCast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American accent. We had to push things back for deadline day, so we'll get right in and amongst it with our Friday night powwow. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. I've had a bit of a frenetic evening, so I didn't really have time. I shouldn't say I didn't have time to open a beer. I already drank a beer tonight. It was quite good. It was the uh, barrel-aged framing hammer uh, mole version from uh, Jack's Abbey. That was a nice little 13% porter to start the evening out right. And now, because I was in a hurry getting set up, because I was late to recording, I just poured a bunch of slain Irish whiskey into an old-fashioned glass and threw an ice cube in it. So that's where we are. Uh, Not on the show is Evan Skelter, who is a 20-something and did have something better to do. (laughs) <laughs> on a Friday night, but he, in fairness to Evan, he has gone to a beer festival. Yeah, fair enough. Has he? Oh, good, nice, nice guy. It's a good plan. I rather wish I was there and talking about the Chelsea FA Cup <laughs> game, but here I am. Also with me, as you can probably tell, tucked into his New Jersey apartment with his new puppy, it's Patty Jones. Patty, what are you drinking? Hey, Jeff. Hey, Damon. Um, I've, it's Friday night. It's five to ten. Um, we're, we're recording very late this week. Probably the latest we've ever recorded, and I think it might show in the recording this week. So I've had. Uh, I was telling James later on an absolutely fantastic beer by uh, Industrial Arts Brewing Company, which is just about forty-five minutes up the road in New York. It's a collaboration with Far East Brewing Company. It's uh, called Sea Translation. It's very hard to get hold of, I think, outside of the brewery, but uh, if you can see it, get hold of it. I then moved on to rum, because we should have recorded an hour ago. We were drinking uh, beers, yeah. Yeah, uh, from beer to rum, that went about 10 minutes ago. Uh, and now I'm on to uh, a 2009 Rioja, um, from It's a La Rioja Alta, a Gran Reserva, which is a very good Rioja. Uh, I recommend it. And uh, this could get very sloppy very quickly. To hold and tie everything together is our man with the plan, who's also probably drinking a 10% beer, but a small one, James Allen. James, what are you drinking? Hello, Jeff. Uh, yeah, it's actually 12.5% this. Uh, I'm, I'm drinking a um, an Imperial Stout by Fifth Hammer, uh, which is so, um, so strong and potent, apparently, that it can only be served in very, very small volumes. So I've got a little tiny 8-fluid-ounce stubby, as Jeff has just called it, uh, of uh, of their iron orchid, which um, in order to keep it cold while we were waiting to start on the pod, uh, I had it in a a little kind of uh, cozy, which uh, was actually borrowed from my uh, child's milk bottle. So um, it's been christened the uh, the podcast Milk Stout. Um, interestingly, it's following on from an industrial arts wrench as well. So uh, so Paddy and I have got that in common tonight, and uh, I'm uh, I'm insulated from the polar vortex. I can't even get that word out. It's been so bloody cold in New York today. Uh, from the polar vortex in my closet, and uh, yeah, let's talk about uh, happy times at Sheffield Wednesday, shall we? We should be very sort of on the ball and serious. There's a lot of news to cover. We should be well organized and disciplined. I'm guessing none of that will happen, but here's what we're going to try to do. Fuck (laughs) that. Here's what we're going to attempt over the next 45 minutes to an hour and a half. I don't want to put a, put a timer on it. God knows. Jeff, I'm just going to put it out here right now. Hmm. 
eight fluid ounces is not going to get me through the next hour and a half. If we're going to be here that long, I'm definitely going to the fridge at some point in this recording. There'll I'm be a break because we have a very long half. agenda, which I'm trying to introduce <laughs> at some point. It's been a big 24 hours in Wednesday land with a big transfer deadline day and a big official appointment or arrival of Steve Bruce back from the Caribbean. Not looking particularly tan, though. We'll talk about his press conference and the three surprise deadline day signings. And also, surprise, no departures. I'm sure there'll be an FFE podcast coming on that shortly. Uh, this will not be that podcast, or that will not be this podcast. We will uh, talk about the Chelsea game, which was only five days ago, but seems longer. We'll talk Iguain versus Tom Lees, Willian against Morgan Fox. One of those went better than the other. We will wrap things up with an Ipswich preview, hopefully before Patty falls asleep. But man, I don't want to talk about the Chelsea game first. We'll save that for when we're drunker than we are now. So talk about the news of the week, and Steve Bruce is officially, officially, it is February 1st, the Sheffield Wednesday manager. He did his introductory press conference on Thursday in a, uh, I would say... James, the last four or five managers we've had at Wednesday, really going back to, let's say, uh, Gary Megson, he seems to, as you would expect for a, for a veteran championship and Premier League manager and a, you know, a very good player in his day, he knows how to, how to work the soccer media. He knows how to work a room. He, he really does, doesn't he? Um, I was trying to, exp- I was, well, not so much explain it. I was talking um, just before we came on uh, on to record about this, which is like, you know, when you get a new manager and they're uh, they're not that good, um, and you kind of you know it straight away, you know. So you're at work and you kind of know that they they they're talking, but they don't really know what they're talking about, or they're claiming that they've done things, but you kind of know they haven't. Um, and then you know the difference when a real manager comes in and someone just basically hits the ground running and straight away tells you exactly how things are and how they're going to be and you jump to the tune because you realise they've actually been there, done that. That was the feel you got from literally the first time that Steve Bruce opened his mouth, right? It was like, finally, there's an adult in the room at Hillsborough. Um, I, I got I got a really, really good vibe from him yesterday. Um, but he just, he totally owned that. He owned the conference, the news conference and... The suite of interviews that followed on from that, he, um, he's he been around the block. He knows this division. He knows about this club. He knows about um, comparable clubs, comparable situations. Um, and it showed, didn't it? Uh, yeah, he, he, just kind of, he just threw off that aura of, okay, I know what this is about. And um, you guys are going to, uh, you're going to go on a bit of a journey now. So let's, uh, let's have at it. It was so refreshing, wasn't it? It, it was, he said the right things. I mean, he's he's a he's a good, like honest kind of guy. He's very he's very easy to get along with, and and I've, obviously we've all known Steve Bruce uh, from watching English football for a long time, but he's never been on our side, so he's he's never been an enemy either, really, apart from maybe at Hull in the uh, Wembley playoff final. But even then, it was respect. It was like we got Bruce, Bruce completely like out tactically maneuvered us that day, and it was a bit of like a doth of the doth of the cap to him at that time. But just having him on our side, being that kind of... He's, he's very charming. He's a, he's a nice, honest guy. He addressed the uh, health issues he's had. Um, I think he probably wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for much of the day, like calling him out uh, on Sunday. Um, but he had to, I suppose, just to get it under the carpet and just move on. But 
I like the fact that he just kind of like put a put a nail in that kind of coffin and said, "Look, I've had two operations, minor operations, and he's fit and he's raring to go." Um, and I think the Villa thing and the whole year last year, last year with the, uh, his mum and dad passing away, um, and then obviously that affecting, I think, his Villa performance, and then ultimately getting sacked. Um, I think that really affected him, and he said said as much in the press conference too about basically. Does he have the passion and desire to want to manage again? It's, it takes a lot. It's twenty four seven. Does he want to invest that much time when there's much more important things in life? Uh, and then the day he took that time off, he refreshed himself. He got himself fixed up. He went to see uh, the England cricket team lose to the West Indies. <laughs> but it was a, it was a kind of it, for me. It's quite emotional. It, it, I actually. Watched all of his conferences of the last of the last day. He did a really good interview with um, uh, Mark. Is it Clement, uh, the guy that does a lot of the Wednesday stuff for BBC Sport? Uh, he did a really good interview with him too, and that was really really nice. And uh, BBC Sport, I suppose, kind of like made up for their um, two pundits' errors by having that interview on their website earlier on today. So if you haven't seen that yet, I recommend watching it. It's another great interview with Bruce. He's he's a fantastic guy. I think he's, he's the right man for the job. He is a fantastic guy, and I, I, I said on um, on our WhatsApp thread a little bit earlier on that um, I'm going to get this out there now before we have any results to judge him by, just just in case anyone thinks I'm jumping on a bandwagon. But I've always had this kind of soft spot for Steve Bruce, and I can't really work out why. I think it's just genuinely because he is he is a nice fellow, and he's uh, he's proved himself in the game, right? Um, but I have this feeling that if he gets results at Wednesday, I'm going to not just have a soft spot for him; I'm going to fall head over heels in love with him because he, he he just. He uses that kind of charm and kind of just just gentleness, but also with kind of a bit of an iron fist behind him, um, of of knowing how to to drive a club and a team and, a, and an infrastructure in the right direction. So it, it gave me a huge amount of confidence just listening to him talk. And, and Paddy, you kind of alluded to the fact that you know that there was this suite of interviews yesterday, right? I mean, it was talk about you know a full on media day at Hillsborough, probably the like of which we haven't seen, frankly, at Wednesday full stop. Um, you know, that it wasn't just the news conference. There was this kind of it was interview after interview with with Glenn from BBC, with you know half the sports media in uh, in South Yorkshire all doing individual snippets with ITV, blah blah blah. But if you notice every single one of those interviews you watch him back, he manages to get the same points across. Um, you know, talk about kind of disciplined and professional. He 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 had a series of talking points that he was going to convey, and he conveys them in every single interview. He's well media trained. He knows how to manage that kind of um, the, the media for for fan expectations. But I think it will be for the good of the club as well in the way that he presents himself and the way he acts as an ambassador for Sheffield Wednesday going forward. And where it was most striking, I thought, was when he was sat alongside DC um, in the initial press conference. And you know the. The kind of the, the whole conversation veered off in a, a ridiculous trajectory around the ownership of the club and you know is it for sale or otherwise and he just sat there disciplined quietly let, let that all roll over and straight back he's back into business as soon as he gets the opportunity to talk you know starts to talk about the opportunities for the team the size of the club prospects of you know a club like Wednesday in the championship makes kind of good analogies and analogues against clubs you know of our size and and level um, and he just he he just he gave us that level of confidence that I don't think we've had from a manager at Wednesday in a, in a very long time, which was, um, which was very heartening, wasn't it? Yeah. And he knows the division, as you said, he knows Wednesday, he knows this squad he's managed in this league for the last few years. You know, he knows their strengths and weaknesses. And I think he came out and knows what the, the task ahead of him is. And the results are going to come one way or the other. And 
I think I joked in sort of bringing him in and bringing these transfers that we'll, we'll finally get that stranglehold on 16th place for the rest of the season now. <laughs> We're locked in. But, you know, I think, what, Patty, what are you looking for him to do for the rest of the season with this squad? What I want from Bruce is what I think he can give is essentially he's assessing the entire squad what we've got right now um, and being honest, right? So he's very, I think he's probably the most like, I've been listening to a lot of the uh, John Sheridan podcast on the, that, uh, the Owl Sanctuary done recently. And Sheridan speaks a lot about Ron Atkinson's character and how he wasn't really much of a coach, but he was very an amazing kind of manager of the club. And he brought everyone on on on, on side with with the way he interacts with the players and builds them up, and also gives them a bit of a shit sometimes too. And I'm not comparing Bruce like for like for Atkinson, but he's definitely the most similar uh, stature uh, manager we've had since that era. Uh, so what I'm wanting from Bruce is to is to put his arm around players that need a bit of a, a kind of coaching, and and also give people a barking when they need a barking. Um, and I think. He's got the complete opportunity to do that now, coming up to uh, the summer, which, like, what, 12 people are up for uh, the contract renewal, which won't get renewed, I assume. He's got the opportunity now to rebuild, um, <laughs> well, fingers all crossed, but we're not under transfer embargo. If we're not under transfer embargo, you can clear out the deadwood and start again. And I think that's what appealed to him in this job, right? He, he's got He's got a clean slate, and he says as much in his interview, too. He's wiping the slate clean for the people there right now. Uh, there's people that are going to be uh, out of contract in the season, and he can start again from scratch. And did, DC... did you notice how um, how subtly he got some of those points across? You know, I was saying earlier on how well drilled he was, and now his talking points were there. Like, you know, he said all the right things about making us us feel good as fans, right? So right from the off, he's talking about we. You know, so he's part of Sheffield Wednesday. He's, he's talking about the club, us. You know, us and us against them. You know, against the division, against you know the the competition, but. He's kind of he's he's already kind of pulling us all on side, but he got some pretty hard messages in about the squad in exactly the way you're describing, Paddy. So you know, he talked about the fact that you know there's a lot of players out of contract this summer, and the way that you know in this very kind of calm tone, he he goes, you know, I've told them they've got to impress me. Now, if any of the three of us walked into the Sheffield Wednesday dressing room and said you've got to impress me, there'd be scoffs and looks and whatever else. But when a guy who's you know got promoted out of the championship four times or five times, um, who's played at the highest level of the game who is connected to the people who he's connected to you know when he walks in and says that that he can say that as calmly and quietly as he does but it will have impact and i think you get a reaction so you begin to see how the man management that you're alluding to with kind of the ron atkinson comparisons which you know have been quite liberally made kind of start to um start to have effect but there, there was something else he said which i thought was really interesting you know he talked about expectations and the fact that you know, we're 11 points off the playoffs and, and it's un, probably unrealistic to make the playoffs this year, which, let's be honest, is completely unrealistic to make the playoffs this year. He's, he's got the benefit of having to get to the end of the season to reshape the squad and we go again next year. But he, he talks about the only way you'd really get in there is if you win 8-9 on the bounce. And then he makes passing reference to the fact, you know, we'd all like to do an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, and o- other managers could say that, but I kind of caught myself in the back of my mind thinking... Yeah, but you can probably pick up the phone and have a chat to Solskjaer or chat to the Manchester United hierarchy about, you know, the differences between this and the Jose Mourinho era, which previous Wednesday managers haven't been able to do. Like His contacts in the game really excite me. 
and that kind of that just latency of experience and and know-how is is something you know the club has to benefit from right if we if we play it right and uh those contacts sure seem to come into play quickly as a scant few hours after that first press conference surprise surprise with uh way more jump cuts than I feel were necessary from Sheffield Wednesday's Twitter account videos. They announced three new signings, Patty. Yeah, and uh, it was hilarious because like Dom Houston was the first to not break the news and then break the news afterwards himself. <laughs> like like early in the day, said, there's no word transfers happening on Wednesday today. Three hours later, oh, by the way, uh, Wednesday are signing three people. Um, so fair play to Dom. Obviously, he got some uh, bad information at first. Um, but I mean... To be fair, on paper, like you said earlier on, uh, um, James, he's looked at the squad. He's <laughs> keeping the, he's, he's wiping the slate clean. But on the same, on the, on the other hand, he's gone and signed a pacey right back, a pacey left back, and a pacey winger, which is everything that Wednesday fans have been asking for for the past like four or five years now. So yes, he's wiping the slate clean, but also not being completely naive in the fact that we need some fucking pace in this team and two new fullbacks. So completely hats off to uh, Brucey in on this one. I mean, as far as their quality, um, then I think we'll we'll see over the next few months. Um, but these people, I offer, I think one of the best of the three, definitely, and the permanent signing of that is. Um, I'm going to let James <laughs> explain how we're going to get out of that one. <laughs> but uh, the two Newcastle guys, uh, Akraf and uh, Rolando Aaron's. Um, Akraf's a Moroccan kind of Italian, uh, sorry, Moroccan uh, player that's played a lot in the Italian leagues uh, for Palermo. And he's, he had a good stint for, in Serie A. It's just he's not been given a chance really in, uh, in the Newcastle side. And the same with uh, Rolando Ahrens. He's a, a good like prospect almost. He's a cousin actually to Max Ahrens, who plays for Norwich at right back. Uh, who's been targeted by like, everyone in the Premier League recently, like 15 million quid like right back. So He's got some good stock there. Um, it's just I think these are people almost... Well, I'll tell you the difference between the, these people that we've signed today and the people that Carlos signed three years ago. These are ex-Premier you know, uh, League players, but they're young Premier League players that still have a point to prove. And that's the difference between what Carlos signed and what we've signed yesterday. I think that's fair. Um, I mean, the, the, the honest... Um view on kind of the FFP side of things by the way Paddy is my understanding is we've only spent about 500k uh, on IOFA so yeah if, if you're going to play around with the margins a transfer fee of, of that magnitude is is probably something that they can seek to accommodate uh, I'm not going to say they can accommodate um, it all depends on how much how much they're paying him in wages obviously in terms of adding to the wage bill but you go over the course of a year or so and we really only signed two players him and Pelopesi for about the same amount uh, in the last 12 months so um, they're clearly keeping the the out the the expenditure budget tight in terms of actual um, transfer fees but the the exciting part of it is the fact that Dom Halston didn't know about it um, and that's no disrespect to Dom. I, you know, I know that he's very well connected into the club and that he um, he reports things as he knows them. But the reason why I say that is because it signals a change, right? It signals that Bruce is doing his own business, that when he says that he has final say on transfers, he means it. And that he's using a network and connections that Wednesday haven't had access to before. Um, so you, you have to look at the fact that all three of those players have come in from Premier League clubs to say, well, you know, we've had high-level discussions and we've looked at the players that are available and we've decided that those are the ones that best fit the needs of our squad right now. And 
it does reduce down to a tweet, but a pacey left back, a pacey right back and a winger is exactly what Wednesday have been screaming out for for two years. Well, Steve Bruce didn't need more than three hours on the job to find that. Yes, it's a cliche, but it's entirely true. And he's done his homework and put the, the deals in place so they could be rolled out. And, and the fact they were rolled out all on the same day that he was announced on deadline day, that's a pretty good bit of media coordination, right? Um, so, you know, kudos to the club in all of that for, for making sure that that was kept under wraps and uh, and released in the way that it was, because it does just signal a slightly more professional way and a smarter way of going about our business moving forward, hopefully. I was going to ask you about that. Do you think they um, had this these deals done uh, for a while? But maybe was it Bruce that asked maybe Chan Siri to say, I'm going to come obviously on board on the, uh, the Thursday, 31st, do some press. I'll start obviously working on day two. Uh, do you think he said to kind of win over the fans, keep those three signings under like in your pocket until I arrive on the scene and therefore I mean it worked. That whole day yesterday, talk about like engaging a fan base. That was it was perfectly done. The press conference in the morning, uh, a few like drip feeds of radio interviews and like uh, TV interviews during the day. There's emotion there, there's passion there, there's a sensical talking, and then it finishes with three signings for players that we really need. That's if that was planned, hats off, because that was an absolutely flawless execution. It really was. I mean, we've got to be careful not to, like, you know, paint Steve Bruce as literally the the media messiah as well as as a decent football manager and uh, and a, you know an all round well connected football gem. But um, you have to assume that there's a difference, right? There there is a there is a marked difference. Now, the only thing I will say for Wednesday overall is that in the last week to ten days, we seem to have got our acting gear more than we have previously on social media um media handling um you know the response and and preparation around the chelsea cup game was was pretty good by wednesday standards so you know my my hope is there's a few other people behind the scenes who have started to pull more of a planned and uh, and coordinated uh, operational uh, role for for wednesday so so hopefully it was kind of a meeting of minds there but it was really really well ex executed and you know i know the bbc have got a lot of stick but kind of the whole day yesterday ended with you know the wednesday tweet from the uh, swfc twitter account which had literally the four photos juxtaposed of the three new signings plus bruce being retweeted by bbc sport you know that that's, that's pretty good media manipulation right so hats off to everybody involved whoever they were whether it was steve bruce hands on doing it all by himself or whether there's a small cadre of people who got involved there and, and made it happen the club did a really good job yesterday with uh, with the big unveil and, and like you say motivating the fan base now we're all eager to know what's going to happen tomorrow at Ipswich I think the most impressive part of all of this is that Steve Bruce was able to get Wednesdayites across the world really excited about two players that can't even break into Newcastle squad at this point <laughs> I mean it's true uh, I mean, you, Jeff. <laughs> throw a little cold water at it but I mean we said I think we said the same thing about you know, Michael Hector, when he came in, oh, this guy's been on loan 14 times or whatever it is. He can't, you know, he's just, uh, you know, flotsam, extra squad depth. And he's turned out to probably be the player of the year for the team. So you never do know what might what might motivate these guys or just putting them in the right system or the right role that they might not have, have uh, had before, especially at Newcastle, which is not an ideal place to play in a lot of cases. Exactly, and each of these players have been good at one point in their career, uh, and two of them still have a lot more career left in front of them. Uh, one of them is 27, which is not saying he's past it, but I mean, the other two are quite young. Um, and 
it's still there's just not been really. I mean, the new, the Premier League is a competitive place, as we saw on Sunday against Chelsea. The quality difference between us and Chelsea is just obscene. This is this was like half of their like first team and half of their reserves, and we'll go into later. But it, they just steamrolled us. So the fact that we've got two Newcastle like rejects, I'm not too concerned because I think if you're fourth, third or fourth down the line as a left back uh, for Newcastle or a winger at Newcastle, then they spent a lot of money probably in bringing the people that are two of the places in front of you into the club. So you could have been good for. Palermo, for instance, in uh, Akraf's uh, case. But you might not make it into the Premier League. You might not have the right physique, you might not have anything else. But I still think there's some quality in those players that we've signed. And if Bruce can bring the best out of them, that's great signings. I, I think that's the way we've got to approach it, right? I mean, look, it, there's been probably some mixed reviews from Newcastle fans. I think that's fair to say. But we, we've been chasing Newcastle for the best part of 20 years, right? Um, you know, when they came down to the championship, OK, we gave them a couple of good games and um, and we beat them twice. But over the course of that time, they've been significantly head and shoulders beyond us. They've built a squad and an infrastructure at Newcastle, which is well in advance of Wednesdays. Um, and they're a Premier League club. So the players they sign, you know, they've always been a, a mark ahead of where where our players are and probably will get to. So we've got to assume that they've seen something in them that, that hopefully we can molish it. And we've also got to give the benefit of the doubt to, to Bruce in the fact that he's clearly identified those players as players that can do a job. Now, either he's seen them play, he's, you know, he's had good scouting reports on them, or he's, you know, he's, he's looking at the blend of our squad plus their kind of hunger and desire to prove themselves and thinking this is the perfect opportunity for them. You know, what, what's undeniable is the fact that they're going to bring a completely different dimension to, to this Wednesday squad because we haven't played with pace, uh, with trickery, with um, with attacking wing, not even wing backs, full backs, um, really at any point in the last eighteen months, you know, Jack Hunter side. So, um, I'm 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 just really excited excited to see what they can do, you know, and and maybe only one or two of them makes an impact, but um, over the course of the season, that's going to be uh, substantially more than we've seen to get to this point. And look at who they're replacing, right? So <laughs> you've got to beat the bar is Morgan Fox, Liam Palmer. And possibly George Boyd as a left winger. Um, that the bar is not high for these guys. All they need to do is put some some effort in, and I'm guessing they're in the first team. <laughs> and I mean, oh, to be so fair, it's... to be fair, you know, York was getting capped uh, for the England under 21s just two years ago. You know, he has got pedigree. His father was a was a notable player himself. Like it's you know, Wolves has their system and. You know, they're at top half of the division team in the Premier League right now. So With a great defence too, right? So yeah. there's understanding why he's not getting the team. He he was part of that team uh, for like for a while. And he's very out of the three, he's the most respected about the fans. So you look on Twitter obviously when uh, people get signed and out of the three I offer the Wolves fans loved this guy. Uh, obviously, that's not always a great <laughs> measure. We, I, I recommend Almond Abdi <laughs> when we signed him. <laughs> um, who knows what happens in those three or four years if they left out of the team? Um, but I, I have good. I have a really good feeling about Yoff. He looks. He looks like fit. He looks uh, pacey. Uh, and at the end of the day, he's got to beat Liam Palmer. So it's not a big uh, a drive for him, is it? Yeah, and then come back to what we were just saying. Look, he's a permanent signing, right? Like, you know, the, the two lads who've come down from Newcastle, you know, we hope they do a job. We hope they prove themselves. We hope that the fans fall in love with them. We hope that we're, you know, we're having discussions about how we can afford them at the end of the season. But 
other than that, maybe they come in and do a job and kind of help stabilise Wednesday and set a precedent for what happens next season and they go back to Newcastle fair dues. Ayofa is going to be part of Wednesday for the next two to three years, right? He signed a contract. He's our player. So, you know, Bruce and the club have seen something in this player. They think they can build him into being part of the squad. And, and you know, so the testament from the Wolves fans is important. But he is now the the player, hopefully, that's going to fill those shoes from Dracon. So, um, yeah, I'm, you know, that's no disrespect to Liam Palmer, but we've all seen that he's been like a, a stopgap, right? He's not he's not been able to to kind of fill us with that kind of excitement and glee as he goes rampaging. Oh no, he's never been rampaging down the right wing. Um, as he bundles into the box and looks like he, oh no, yeah, uh, okay. So you see where I'm going, right? He, you know, this this guy's part of the future of Sheffield Wednesday. So I'm 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 just bang excited to see how he's uh, how he's going to fit in um hopefully get him into the squad quickly and we can start to see some of that the kind of hallmarks of change i'd just like to point out that everywhere i've seen is lazar atraf but wikipedia actually has it as atraf atraf lazar you had yeah. to look up wikipedia didn't you jeff you needed a reason to use the mouse yeah i had my mic on mute like a professional <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah I had uh, Ashraf Lazar from my uh, research intensive research, <laughs> uh, you know, um, and I also just saw something being retweeted on Twitter saying Ashraf Lazar too. So I think that might be the way to say it, but who knows? Maybe that's like maybe that's the Westernized way of saying it, and actually Moroccans say it differently. I mean, another guy that's had you know three years of experience in Syria and a veteran left back that has to beat out Morgan Fox. Exactly, I was just saying, man, the, the bar is not fucking high. I mean, I'll be honest, I have not heard of any of I mean, you are fighting the other two Newcastle people. I don't follow Newcastle that closely for obvious reasons. <laughs> Can we talk about, right? So we've talked about the ingoings, right, on deadline day. Um, but the, the, the probably the most important thing that's happened on deadline day is what didn't happen on deadline day, and that no one fucking got sold. Um, so... For me, and what we spoke about over the last few weeks, and what I was about stats spoke about, and what FFPs, uh, what public has talked about, this to me is really bloody worrying. Because yes, we're excited about all these new players, but I'm 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 probably more like anxious by the fact that we're probably going to be under embargo come summer. You don't have a lot of faith in Club 1867, Mark. <laughs> I have fucking zero faith in Club 1867. As was said last time round, when I forgot who it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, look, you, you're right. Okay, um, I, I, I've been banging on about this for two months. We need to be a selling club as well as a buying club. We need to move players out in order to make material revenue. Unless we move players out in this window, we are leaving it right to squeaky bomb time at the end of the season. That's the course we've taken. You know, um, players may still leave Sheffield Wednesday before the end of the season on loan. You know, I'm not sure of the permutations of that, but no revenue will be coming into the club for players until we get past the last game in May. So when we submit our preliminary accounts in March, there's going to be no uh, no, no additional dollars in the income line uh, for, for playing sales. So either the club knows something that we don't, which is entirely possible. That you know, There's movement in the FFP regulations. The EFL are seeing so many clubs come into the brink that they're, they're looking at a new way of doing things, which is probably our best hope. Um, or we will find ourselves under an embargo and having to demonstrate post-provisional and as we go into real accounts that we actually are serious about moving players on. Now, here's the bit that gives me a bit more confidence than I probably had six weeks ago. Steve Bruce will sell players. 
you know, when he identifies the players he wants, he'll work to keep them. And the players that he doesn't want, he's going to find ways to move them on. And, you know, maybe that means, you know, sacrificing a big sale and bringing some revenue in in, in May, June, that ultimately accrues in the accounts and we, and we make this go away. Um, or he sells a, a host of players for small change and, and has to kind of cut his loss accordingly as he goes into uh, into the uh, first part of next season. I don't really know how it's going to go, but I feel a whole lot more comfortable knowing that he's making those decisions than if we were going into this point in the in the season without having made any sales and with a uh, an unknown Dutch manager who just come in from the Bundesliga and uh, didn't seem to be particularly comfortable standing up on the touchline. And on that note, we'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll review Steve Agnew's last game in charge as Sheffield Wednesday caretaker manager. A little FA Cup tie down south at Stamford Bridge. Fifteen... Owls America's meetups across the continent. 6,000 Wednesdayites at Stamford Bridge on a Sunday evening. And, Patty, we get whatever that was. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, five days later, I've put me more context. Right? I was getting quite excited about it at the time. Because, um, to be fair, it was quite a glamour tie. Uh, they had fireworks and everything, don't you know? Um and we had the biggest day in our existence as Al's Americas, which for me makes me very proud. A 16th place championship team can get 15 cities across America um, meeting up to watch us play Chelsea. For me, I don't really care so much about the result. FA Cup is an absolute bonus, as we all said earlier on. Um, I thought we put up a good, strong side. Um, and I thought that we didn't embarrass ourselves. That was the minimum requirement, right, of that Sunday night. Um, but what we did as proud in was our fan base, as usual. Uh, and those 6,000 Wednesday fans that turned up at Stamford Bridge sung their hearts out for the entire 90 minutes. And I'm sure at the 15 metres across America, everyone had pride in their hearts too. Regardless if you're one guy in a bar in South Florida versus 30 people in a bar in New York, um, it wasn't pretty to watch, but at the end of the day, it, we lost 3-0 to a better team. And for me, that is a foundation that we'll never lose. Uh, and that's why we exist as Els America. So we can talk about the match now. I'm just happy that we exist as, as an entity and as a fan base. And I'm very proud of what happened on Sunday. No, I thought that was a very fair and sly dig at Florida Owls, actually, Paddy. <laughs> <laughs> Do not get me in trouble. Look, Tampa, Tampa, Tampa and Florida I will, uh, I will make a note that I think you posted a picture from every meetup except mine in Connecticut, which I had uh, Damien really? send you in the WhatsApp group because my phone died using it as a hotspot to broadcast the game. No, I did. I put you on Instagram. You were on Instagram, mate. All right, fair enough. <laughs> but let's, let's, let's dwell on it for a second, right? Because, you know, the... Ultimately, the football is the football. We'll come on to that in a second. But it, when you say it's the, it was the biggest day in our history as Owls Americas, that's the important designation, right? Because the way the media was building it up, it was like, you know, it's the biggest day for Sheffield Wednesday in however long. And it it was a great day out for Sheffield Wednesday. And we showed up like we always show up. But, you know, Chelsea away in the FA Cup fourth round isn't the biggest day in our history, even in the last two, three years. That was the playoff final in it. 
you know, frankly, the night against Arsenal in the Carling Cup was probably kind of a bigger heyday for us in terms of, you know, the way we performed on the pitch and, and adding for an item over the last 10, 20 years, you can find bigger moments in Wednesday's history. But what it just proved is the potential of this club, right? And it's like you say, when, when a club in the middle of the championship can get 15 different cities around America to get together and watch a game with a Wednesday focus. And that's before we get onto the meetups that were happening in Dubai and Australia and, you know, half a dozen other places around the globe. Um, we, we're, we're just pent up, ready to go. Um, the fans back home are pent up, ready to go. But the gap is big, right? And that's why we, we need to do this properly. It's it's one thing to like pine for, for promotion, for desperation to have that kind of that big moment where we get up. But when we get up and we will get up, we have to be ready for it and we have to adapt to the league the same way that some clubs have done really, really well, like Bournemouth and, and Wolves seem to be doing this season. You know, I don't want to be the club that goes up there and then just comes straight back down with our pants around our ankles because we've been absolutely battered at Chelsea every week. Um, and so I was pleased. This is kind of a, a long way of getting around to talking about the football. I was pleased with the fact that we did give a decent account of ourselves, even if we weren't inspiring. You know, some players, some people have said we didn't turn up. I don't think that's fair. I just think that we, you know, the, the golfing class and the, the gap that we've got to close was just very, very apparent. And we set out basically to not um, concede a shitload of goals. I think that was our only plan. And it was kind of our downfall as well. Um, but for the first half, we did that. We defended pretty well. I mean, even Fox and Palmer um, dealt okay with their pretty tricky wingers in William and uh, Hudson and Doy. And Lee's on Higuain. I thought Lee's had a great game. Uh, Higuain had a couple of half chances. Obviously, it was his first uh, night in English football. Um, but I think Lee's managed that pretty well. So that first half, and we'll talk about the uh, the two the two penalties uh, later, later, I assume. But I, we didn't do that bad. Second half, different game. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. First half, we managed them. And, and, and we can come on to we'll come on to the actual plays and how the score ended up how it was in a second. But but just while you're talking about you know Lee's and uh, uh, you're saying Higuain, I don't know if it's Higuain. I'm 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 not really sure on the accurate pre- uh, pronunciation of that. Not being uh, experienced in European soccer uh, podcastery, but um, you know he's obviously not on the same wavelength as as the rest of the Chelsea squad. I mean, what he signed like 48 hours before the game, but the like his movement. Like we talk about Stephen Fletcher as being kind of you know a footballer's footballer who kind of, you know, really knows the movement of the game and how to stretch a defence and how to kind of peel off the last man and stuff like that. Well, Iguan was uh, was kind of giving a masterclass in that, just like his, his movement off the ball was absolutely beautiful, the way he was trying to, like, you know, just just basically tear Wednesday's defence in half. But but Lee's did, he shepherded him, right? I mean, he lost him a couple of times, but he caught back to him, you know, he kind of, you know, he got the challenges in the right time. And because our players don't get that experience, that will have done them an immense amount of good just to see what that looks like. Um, you know, when Olivier Giroud came on in the second half, they're bringing on a World Cup winner from the bench. You know, we we kind of not even, only can't do that, we can't even dream of doing that. So you, you've got to put it all in context, right, before you start judging the performance and before you start judging the moments, which uh, I suppose is a good point, uh, Jeff, to talk about VAR. Yeah, uh, we didn't have audio in my bar. So we were playing it through the HDMI cable <laughs> on my laptop. So it was very confusing what happened. Um, we didn't realize they were going to VAR. We didn't realize when they overturned it, they were overturning a penalty decision and not a non-penalty decision. 
So that was fun. I mean, clearly on replay, he won the ball and then got kicked in the ankle by Pelopassi, who then fell over. So it was the right call in the end. I do want to talk about that move, though, that led to that, that chance, because that was, was a really, good. really good move. We did nothing that first half, uh, pretty much, going forward. Um, but the the move that happened on the right wing with uh, with Palmer to reach and reach uh, pass it to Fletcher and Fletcher just flicks it one time on the side of his foot to uh, Pelopesi and it was literally it was it was great defending to be fair uh, it was split second uh, great timing tackle uh, but at the time I was I was convinced it was penalty I was I was kind of like I was we were doing a lap of honour around the football factory uh, I can attest to that Pat, Paddy actually literally he didn't just run, do a lap of honour around the football factory he went up and down the stairs uh, <laughs> as well I was I was convinced, and I was I, I was also sure we were robbed until it was replayed at least twenty times in front of me to show me that I wasn't robbed. It was a clear non-penalty. Um, so yeah, Pelopesi just kicks the guy in the leg, which is just more to the fact that the guy had good timing and Pelopesi didn't. Um, so it was a fair call in the end of the day, but just such a fucking roller coaster, right? I mean, the first time that Wednesday get a VAR decision, of course it's overruled the actual decision on the pitch. Um, and my my argument at the time was, which I've 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 kind of um, curved over the last week. My argument at the time was, was there enough evidence for that, like what a minute uh, to overturn it, overturn decision pitch? Was it that clear enough of an overturn? It was, it was pretty clear, Patty. <laughs> <laughs> he won the ball and got kicked in the foot. I would quibble with you. I would quibble with you that it was a a great move by Wednesday because I don't think any great move by Wednesday can end with Pelopesi with the ball at his feet inside the penalty <laughs> box. <laughs> that was the best ending to that move, I suppose. You guys uh, are all really, really hard on Joe Pelopesi. I still think he's <laughs> I think he's a decent footballer who, who gets a lot of bad press. But anyhow, uh, irrespective of how good a move or not it was, it was definitely not a penalty, right? It was definitely a penalty down the other end, though. Is uh, Hutch got a little overexcited playing his former team and stepped on someone's shin as he does occasionally and Willian being one of the best penalty takers in football calmly slots it into the top corner all right but, but we've got to talk about how the ball got there Jeff right so yes I mean if you leave Sam Hutchinson playing central defense at Chelsea it turns out he will try and stand on someone's uh, upper calf let alone their ankle um, so very, very clear penalty, fair dues, and we'll we'll talk about what happened in a second. But this is where the VAR controversy really kicks in, right? Because no one's going to overturn that penalty decision. That was very clear. When the Wednesday penalty is, is overturned, the ball is being kicked out of play legitimately by the Chelsea defender who's made a good challenge. So logically, it's a corner. Now, the letter of the VAR law says that if a decision is overturned, it, the ball goes back to the point in play at which the incorrect decision was called, in other words, the point of the tackle. So the corner is ruled null and void. But then it's a drop ball. And instead, Chelsea take a goal kick, go up the other end, and then Sam Hutchinson makes the, the challenge. So the question I've got, which I've still, a week later, I've still not got a clear answer to, is did Wednesday contest the drop ball, or was the ball incorrectly awarded to Chelsea as a goal kick? Well, no, well, we definitely didn't contest it, obviously. Were they told it was a drop ball? But by that point, we'd just given up on the whole premise of it. So I just wandered back. There was no one around when he took that goal kick or took the um, the drop ball to himself. Um, but if the referee was doing the right job on the field, he should have brought someone in for Wednesday and said, look, this is a drop ball now. He didn't do that. 
And what happened was the goalkeeper got a, go, a clear, basically drop ball to himself, um, and cleared upfield where they got another penalty, which is probably the most Wednesday thing that's happened in a very long time. Well, I mean, most Wednesday things that happen happen most weeks. But, um, you know, the, you're absolutely right. For Wednesday to have a VR decision overturned and then within literally two minutes to have managed to concede a penalty that clearly was not going to get overturned by VAR and concede is, is absolutely prime Wednesday. But it, you're raising a really interesting point, Paddy, because, you know, one thing we were talking about at halftime after all this had, had gone to pass was if we didn't contest the drop ball, is that because we didn't know it was a drop ball? Were we not properly you know, prepared for a VAR type decision? Did the, the coaching team, the playing staff know how to deal with that? You know, we, we, we frankly, we were naive, in which case it's our fault. You know, kind of hands up, Mayor Culpa, um, mid-table championship club doesn't really deal with VAR, doesn't know what it's doing versus Champions League team that does. Um, and then you raise the point about the referee, you know, should he have made Wednesday aware? And this is where it, it it's the only part of the game that I've got any problem with. I, you know, over the course of 90 minutes, Chelsea were so obviously superior. They clearly deserved to win the game probably by a few more goals than they did. Um, but it does worry me that the introduction of VAR, the introduction of technology creates this kind of uneven playing field whereby teams that use it regularly, that have it in their stadium, become accustomed to how to play to it and how to use it to their advantage. Teams that don't have a distinct, disadvantage going into the game and the authorities need to find a way to iron that out um you know it, it didn't change the outcome of the game on sunday but it is something that will will cause an issue until this becomes commonplace and it's used kind of uh, i don't know kind of you know universally across football what might have changed the outcome of the game was wednesday making a more attacking substitution at some point before conceding a second goal in the second half because it really felt like about an hour on chelsea were Still pretty disjointed. It looked like a team that hadn't really played together much because the squad is comprised really hadn't. Like, it was just crying out for, you know, Jow and Forestieri to come on and maybe try to get at them a little bit and make a run at it, but Agnew kept them in his back pockets and there were two moments of individual brilliance. hudson Adoy with an absolutely beautiful uh, second touch, really, uh, to set up his goal. And then... Uh, Olivier Giroud with his classic sort of Olivier Giroud hold-up play, teeing up Willian for the third one, and uh, that is that, Patty. Yeah. Um, I mean, as soon as the second goal went in, it was game over, essentially. Uh, it was it was kind of uh, funny, because I was... Um, I mean, there was a lot of... Well, I'd say it was a lot of... There was barely any banter between us and the Chelsea fans in New York. Um, but there were, Prince, because Chelsea fans don't have banter. Let's Correct. be very clear about that. There yeah. were plenty of attempts to try and in- instigate banter, but it fell on deaf ears. But the one attempt I made, which was poorly done, to be fair, um, was like five minutes before Carl- Callum hudson Nadoy um, scored that goal. Where basically, it, it, like basically, had five minutes for that game, for that goal, sorry, where he just miscontrolled it and he went out of play. So I said, Premier League, you're having a laugh. So I'm doing a bit of a chant, um, which maybe three people joined in on. And then five minutes later, he's... Uh, an egg on my face with that lovely touch and lovely finish uh, that completely threw Fox the wrong way uh, and showing his class. And I think actually he had a good game. Um, both the wingers had a good game. William and, and the hudson Adoy. they're just a different gravy, aren't they? That that, that William goal uh, is a lovely one too. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was Barker, not Jury, maybe I'm wrong, that like had this kind of like double touch and then laid it off to William who just 
just side puts it into, into the top corner. You can't you can't play against that. And the whole build up was just Premier League class. And by that point, I'd got over my kind of dis- disappointment uh, of the match being a bit of a, a, dim, a damp squib, um, and just kind of took my hat off and said, "Look, these guys are way better than us, um, and they've shown it over ninety minutes." They they didn't, but it, it was Giroud because I've been talking to someone in the bar about how um, you know his scoring record is hardly prolific, but when he comes on, he doesn't half uh, link play well. Um, but it turns out you can play against it because Bournemouth beat them 4-0 about three days later. So um, <laughs> apparently the standard we've actually got to attain is Bournemouth standard, um, which tells you something about football in 2019, right? But yeah, I mean, that's the overall takeaway, Paddy. When you when you look at that touch from Hudson-Odoi, when you look at the way in which Chelsea kind of carved us open for the third goal, um, it, it just kind of it laid bare what's gone on for the last 20 years, right? You know, while we've been doing all the things that define what it is to be a Wednesday night and define, you know, the truculence of the championship, the Premier League has just marched on in, in a way and, and and in a, a to a level of football that, that we are going to find it very, very hard to compete with until we build the infrastructure, until we have players of that standard universally, not just throughout the first team, but, you know, on the bench, kind of competing to get into the youth teams, et cetera, et cetera. It is a big, big ask for us to get there. Um, and that's what Sunday kind of laid bare. It was like, you know, if if this is where you aspire to be, then be careful for what you wish for, because we've got to be ready for it. If we go up there and, and play teams like that week in, week out, as we are at the moment, with a squad even, you know, improved on where we are at the moment, we're going to find it really hard. So, um, you know, the championship is kind of fun in comparison, right? You know, we've, we've kind of got a fighting chance of winning pretty much every game we go into. I mean, admittedly, we would lose a lot more games than we should, should but... Um, we're there or thereabouts. The, the Premier League is a different story, and certainly the sharp end of the Premier League. That's more than enough time on the Chelsea game. Actually, on. Jeff, it's not. There's uh, one more thing. Sorry. It, we've got to talk about the fact that Wednesday fans chucked a bunch of stuff at uh, William when he scored the first goal. Yeah, I mean, you never want to see that, basically. No, you don't. And and that, that's that's the only thing I wanted to say about it, which is like we glorify, you know, how good our travelling support is and how we take six thousand fans at six PM on a Sunday evening and just, you know, how brilliant the Wednesday experience was and et cetera, et cetera. But don't be those fans. If if anybody in the Wednesday fan base knows people who was involved in that, look them in the eye and tell them that they're a wanker because they they shouldn't be around they shouldn't be around the club and they shouldn't be doing that sort of thing because we're only one step away from being part of the idiot base. So uh, so that was kind of disappointing to see. Everything else, I think the Wednesday fans did an absolutely awesome job. Now the Wednesday news, I already made allusion to the fact that uh, the video presentation of the new players was a little bit different than normal. We have a new uh, social media team as well, James. Uh, yeah, well, I was kind of alluding to this earlier on, right? I mean, it, it, it just feels like we've got our act together a bit more behind the scenes. The um, the Obsidian, the Obsidian, Obsidian, the Black Away Kit video <laughs> for Chelsea was quite neatly put together as well. So uh, so kudos to the club marketing department, which is finally entering the 21st century. And we have our most recent player of the month. No surprise here. It's Stephen Fletcher, Patty. No, oh man, no. Uh, I think there's a there's probably a little bit of a shout for Sam Hutchinson. I think he had a good uh, month or two, um, but I think Fletch, far and away, um, capped it all off with that uh, performance. 
couple of weeks ago uh, with his goal as well. Um, he's been fantastic all season, and it's completely um, deserved this. So uh, hats off to Mr. Fletch, and uh, hopefully he can uh, get a few more goals in the run-up to end of the season. And he might be able to start this weekend at Ipswich. Steve Bruce's first game in the dugout. We go from near the top of the Premier League to near the bottom of the... Well, not near, the bottom of the championship, James. Yeah, I mean, so so let's hope this heralds the start of a new era. Maybe we keep this preview really, really short, right? Ipswich are the whipping boys of the championship this year. This would be the game that Wednesday go to with all the hope and optimism of a new era and fuck up and lose 4-0. Um Please, please, Wednesday, just go there and just get a, just get a clean one nil, two one victory. I don't really care. Make it a Steve Bruce one nil special. Just let's not go down there and get a, you know our asses handed to us and and kind of brought back down to earth with a bump. No, no, I'm, I'm I, fuck that. I want a five or six nil thrashing. These these are so bad uh, that we should be fucking going there with full confidence. We've got a new manager. People trying to impress the new manager. It's Steve fucking Bruce. You should walk into the dressing room and say, I'm Steve fucking Bruce, go out and thrash ship switch, and we should go and do that, come back in the full time, get on the bus back home, job done, next week. That's what I want to see. Well, in fairness, hudson Adoy didn't get his transfer to Bayern Munich, so maybe we've pinched him. We're going to announce him on loan tomorrow <laughs> as a surprise social media out, outlet, and then uh, then he's going to score a hat-trick. So, yes, we don't need um, since it's Friday night, Paddy, I'm on board. Let's do it. We've got Rolando Ahrens. We don't need hudson Adoy. <laughs> it's the 2019 hudson and Doyle. Think um, that any of the new signings are going to start against this pitch? I don't think so. I think you know they've had what one practice. Maybe you'll see Aaron to get fifteen minutes off the bench as like a change of pace sub if need be. Um, I think you keep the back four together. Just try to keep things tight at the back. You don't want any surprises. Not that Ipswich has a lot of attacking power in their arsenal just you know get the job done get a nice professional victory and then you know figure out sort of your best 11 going from there so we know that bruce has taken two training sessions right now because he took thursday and we assume he took one today as well do you think he's picking the team saturday or do you think it's uh it's the steves Ago and no. bummer well they're all steves right <laughs> all right do you think it's the original steves or the new steve <laughs> I love that we've got Steve ABC in charge. Um, I, I, totally Bruce. Bruce is going to be uh, walking there, kind of a bit like a, a Vince McMahon swagger down the uh, dugout. Uh, yeah, he'll be picking it. And I think he'll put all the uh, new signs on the bench um, to kind of just put a little bit of uh, fear into the people in the first 11. Um, I think you might give Roland, uh, Rolando Aaron's a run out for the last 15 minutes. The other two, depends how bad they are. But I, I mean, if you're playing bad against Ipswich away, then um, he deserves to be subbed. So, so uh, for me, I, I think he might play Aorfa. I don't know why. I've just kind of got this hint that, you know, if, if you're going to say, I'm going to sign that player permanently, it might be the player that he's going to put in from the off and say, okay, you know, yes, you don't know the team all that well, but you've got pedigree, go and work it out. Um, but I do think it'll be one from three. I don't think he'll play all three. No, you're right, and but he, that depends on what he sees in the training, right? So if he's fit, I think if all three are fit, they could have a good chance of featuring. Uh, but I think you're right. I offer the one that's the strongest option out of those three. Uh, and if he's kept himself fit over the last, uh, he's been injured, right, last year, was that right? That's why he didn't get back into the squad. 
He's had a few injuries, yeah. But let's be honest, I mean, it's uh, it's nearly 11pm on the East Coast on Friday night. In less than 12 hours, we're going to find out the answer. In fact, before most people even listen to this, they'll know the answer. So uh, let's uh, let's see what tomorrow brings. Uh, that's predictions. Mine is 6 nil Wednesday. <laughs> Jeff? Oh, I'll go with uh, comfortable but slightly plodding 2 nil win. Fletcher and Zhao to score. Uh, I'm going to go with 3-2 Wednesday with all of the three new signings scoring within <laughs> 20 minutes. Wait, so that means we're going to be 2-0 down when they come in? Yes, the exactly. <laughs> it's going to be a heroic comeback which will set the stage for the new, se- the new season to come next year. So Bruce is getting booed off at half-time. As optimistic as we can get here at Owls Americas. One of our... Uh social media experts on the at owls americas account i don't know which one solicited some fan questions for this week's show so we will answer them quickly since we're already over an hour first one is from joe at 90 walks any new song suggestions for the new signings would love to hear some mls style chants patty you broke those down a couple weeks ago with evan do you have any uh any suggestions well this is the most bizarre comment we've ever had on, uh, I think, Twitter. Because uh, if you listen to this podcast, you know that even the Americans on this podcast aren't fans of MLS-style chants. If they want an MLS-style chant for any of our new signings, it's very easy to come up with. There's, there's basically uh, uh, three syllables that you have to repeat over and over again. It's in a monotone style. Uh, so it's... <laughs> I, may have, uh, I may have already uh, overestimated my syllables here. <laughs> but it's like, uh, what we got? So... Rolando Aaron's blah 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 blah. That's all it is. It's like Rolando Aaron's blah 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 blah. He's so good. Blah, blah, blah. It's, there's no there's no banter in MLS style chants. So the fact that Joe at ninety walks asking for a new song based on MLS style chants is just absolute nonsense. Hold uh, on, hold on, hold on. Do, do, does the MLS ever get as kind of like avant garde as to play a sort of like you know uh, NHL type uh, organ? You know, to go da 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 Dominic, I offer Dominic. Is that too much to ask? I think there's way too many syllables in that one. No, no, no songs, no songs for those three players until they become good, and they certainly would not be an LS style chance. Move on, then, Jeff. From Sarah at Jerakapa. 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 Yeah, she's like... not from the MLS. No, she is not. <laughs> How soon is too soon? Or do we all find ourselves in love with Steve Bruce already? I know I do after watching some of the interviews so far. Patty, you seem fully on board here. I think we both, we all do, right? So me and James have all spoken about how we've become kind of enamored by Bruce's um, media patter and Sarah's... Uh, also in the, in, in the same kind of swoon capacity. So Sarah, first of all, is, is, is a New York owl. We know her very well. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think it's too soon to fall in love with Brucey. I think everyone loves a bit of Brucey, right? So uh, we're all good. Let's just get on board and get behind him. Yeah, hang on. Well, <laughs> let's rein that back just one step, Paddy. I said, I think I may find myself falling in love with you. I'm going to play a little harder to get than you are. Um, let's, uh, let, let's wait until he's at least played his first game before I decide if I'm going to row in that uh, particular boat. But yes, the I think the alcohol I've consumed tonight, I am laid spread eagle on that bed for Steve Bruce. <laughs> Gosh, with his nose? Mate, he can put away once. 
<laughs> and our final Check. question from <laughs> at s underscore pack 11 best recipe for cooking with hendos i've got an entire cookbook for that jeff I'm not, I'm not kidding. On my on my bookshelf in the in the adjacent room to my closet is uh, the uh, Henderson's Relish Cookbook, which includes a Henderson's Relish, relish uh, chili written by none other than the Reverend John McClure. So I'll go with that. That's pretty cool. I was going to say bolognese actually. So bolognese with Hendo's is fantastic, but a chili with some spices in there too. Whack it in there, mate. Nah, it makes sense. I have a chili recipe that I like that uses uh, Worcestershire sauce, so it would make sense to uh... It's way better than Worcestershire sauce. Yes, yeah. I'm just saying it's a similar it's a reasonable substitution. Before this spirals into Friday night <laughs> chaos, um, can we ask which social media king or queen decided to uh, to raise this question? Because it seems to not be particularly on message. Uh, it's S underscore Peck 11, which is Spec. He's, he's a very good fan of the show, actually. He, he gets engaged with us quite a lot. So, hey, Spec, how are you doing? Um, definitely recommend bolognese or, chi- or chili uh, with Hendo's. Uh, obviously, with a pie, too, is, is the best uh, recipe, but that's not really the recipe, with it, is it? Whack it in anything. It's great, man. It's whack it in anything you're cooking. Do we have any other business? <laughs> uh, um, meetups, right? We have at least one. Fewer than, fewer than 15 for if switch <laughs> yeah um clearly we're all glory fans um i believe uh that we are meeting in new york with myself and danny tomorrow uh and anyone else wants to join us there's a few tourists coming too so it won't be just me and danny um i haven't heard from jamie in new orleans but he usually meets up every week check our facebook at facebook.com slash ours americas and check ours for the latest meetups um but as of right now it's just new york I was just about to get to that, because this has been episode 55 of the Owls Americast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American Accent. You can find us on the internet at owlsamericas.com, email us at owlsamericas at gmail.com, find and follow us on Twitter at owlsamericas. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesdayites, Reverend and the Makers. The podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbeam, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. And wherever you choose to consume the Owls Americast, we ask that you rate and review the show. That helps more Wednesdays find our ramblings. And speaking of ramblings, you can leave the show a voicemail on our Days and Mumbled line at 1-401-307-1867. International rates do apply. You can dial it for free using Google Voice. James is on Twitter at Manhattan Owl. James, as the only parent in the group, do you have any advice for Paddy about his new uh, bundle of joy he's dealing with right now? Paddy's puppy. Um, uh, put it in a diaper because it will certainly deal with those uh, unexpected uh, deposits that, that may be littering in your apartment right now. Um, and, uh, you know, a little bit of whiskey on the nipple never uh, never goes to, <laughs> to waste, Paddy. Um, the nipple? But- uh, yeah, okay. of the, of the <laughs> bottle. Don't put it on your own nipple. Oh, okay, that's gone really weird very fast. It has gone very weird very fast. Uh, Jeff, I'm going to switch gears just for a second though, because you you rattled so quickly into our uh, our ex exit lines, which I, I didn't have a chance to make a somber point. And um, I'm I'm going to take a second just to slowly get there, uh, rather than making it too horribly juxtaposed. But um, one little parallel this week, we uh, we saw. Um, you know, Steve Bruce having to explain to the world's assembled media why he chose to take a bit of time out of football. 
and um, that's something people shouldn't really have to do because I think we've talked a few times on this about the fact that the football isn't quite as important as real life. Um, Lee Bullen this week has had to deal with a whole host of things um, in terms of his own personal life, particularly the loss of his father, which I think hopefully quite a few Wednesday nights picked up on that. So I just wanted to say a word at the end in terms of the fact that hopefully all the Wednesday fan base is, is thinking of Lee and the fact that he's gone through something very parallel to what Steve Bruce did in terms of losing both his father and his mother in the last four months. Um, so we laugh, we joke um, and everything else and we're excited for Ipswich tomorrow but uh, thoughts are with Lee Bullen and, uh, and his family this week as well. I'm going to double up on the um, on these uh, some of the times too because uh, Luke, our, um, our old acquaintance at Alice Americas, uh, brought to attention this guy on the Total Soccer Show podcast, um, which is a big independent soccer show uh, podcast in the US. Uh, Darrell Grove, um, he got diagnosed with cancer last week, and you can actually support his um, operation on GoFundMe. So if you search for Darrell Grove, D-A-R-I-Y-L Grove of Total Soccer Show, you'll see his GoFundMe, and you can help him contribute to his medical bills, which is over $100,000 which is just obscene. Um, so go to there too and help Daryl um, pay his bills and hopefully wish him a speedy recovery. That was Patty A. Jones. You can find on Twitter at Patty A. Jones. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro, and we'll see you back here next week. <laughs>